This is what happens with Finbar goes to Japan. Everything gets Fubar. Yeah, well, you know, I keep things Finbar on track. Everything Fubar. I keep, keep things on the straight and narrow. So, at Pack 5, right? Now, I'm obviously mm-hmm. excited for Pack 5 because the, the art for Pack 5 is gorgeous. Uh, Shirokitsuki right on there. And, of course, the long-rumored new Dragon Stronghold has arrived. Now, unfortunately, based on what we were discussing earlier, if this comes out in November, it will be coming out at the same time as the Dragon Pack, and then neither of the Dragon's new Strongholds will be legal for Worlds. I'm kind of hoping they rush this out so that Dragon have options. Um, but let's talk about... Well, if you want to talk about... Actually, let's talk about that one first, because I don't know if this is going to be an option you want to consider, honestly. Well, yeah, exactly. But it is interesting. So let's break it down. Plus two province strength. Shira Kitsuki, which, for those of you who like your maps, is the most southerly uh, castle in the Dragonlands. It is where people go before they go any further. It is where the majority of the political dealings of the Dragon are dealt, because, let's face it, people don't go that far into the mountains, because they tend to get lost, and also it gets quite cold up there. There's a giant volcano. There's loads of not very nice places. So a lot of people just go to Shiro Kitsuki. It is bordered on all sides by huge cliffs. Uh, You can only climb up the cliffs if you know the way, and there is one path that the dragon guard quite well. And it is also home of the Kitsuki Investigator School ability, which is mirrored in the card. So reaction after a conflict is declared. Name a card. After each time your opponent plays that card during this conflict, choose an unclaimed ring and claim it as a political ring, gaining all fate from it. Brackets unlimited. So two important things. Mm. This is an unlimited reaction, which means it can be declared as many times a turn as there are conflicts starting. You cannot declare the reaction more than once per conflict, of course, because you cannot declare a reaction from the same card um, to a single event. Um, Name a card, and after each time, your opponent plays it. So if your opponent plays two of that card during that conflict, then you take two rings. The ring is claimed. It is not claimed and resolved. Display of power, for example, specifies that you resolve the ring as if you were the attacking player. This one does not do that, so you just take the ring and you gain the fate from it. You do take the fate off it, which is good. Uh, and the stronghold has 10 honor, 7 fate, and 11 influence, which is one higher than usual, which possibly denotes the power level of this ability, as we saw that Kyun Bayushi, which has a free stand and plus one plus one, has 9 influence, whereas this one has 11, so one more than usual, possibly to compensate for its ability. So, yeah, initial that might be a huge, thought. big siren saying, this ability is kind of garbage, but you're the dragon expert. You tell me what you think about this. So, initial thoughts are that it is interesting, it leads to a lot of interesting decision points in games, and it is an interesting alternative to what we have at the moment, which is essentially a very powerful and sorely needed stat boost. This is not better than that, because stats win games, and the stat boost is very much needed based on the strength of dragon characters to help us actually be able to contest fights, because we don't have any other way of actually winning fights against high-statted clans without the use of Mount Zabble Castle. In some games, it only lets us keep up, whereas in other games, you know, if we didn't have it, we, we would just be, you know, done. So... Does this replace that? No. Is it interesting? Yes. Is it potentially good if there's a lot of fake going on the rings? Yes. But I'll just give you my quick quick take, right, on this. So okay. the first thing is that, of course, the more times it triggers in a game, the less fate is likely to be on rings because the more rings get claimed. One. Mm. Two, claiming rings can be good because it locks people out of conflicts because you can't declare a ring if you don't have a conflict. Can be good against Unicorn. But equally, it can also backfire on you because if someone plays the card, you have to take the ring. So they could potentially lock you out of conflicts by playing two of a card giving you two rings, and then suddenly you can't declare the set, the last conflict of the turn if you're second player. Okay, then we have to talk. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about this card, as you can tell. We, okay, have, right. we have to talk about taxation versus embargo effects, right? So we talked all about right. embargo effects like gossip, where you just say no to a person playing a card. And we talked about embargo effects, where you have to give the person a choice as to whether or not to play the card. So you have strong embargo effects where... Um, where the opponent cannot do something if they don't have the resources to pay. So I'm talking about Asia's Crone. I'm talking about Utaku Tetsuko. Um, I'm talking about Watch Commander, because if you've lost all your honor, you lose. These are all effects where you can still play the card, but if you do, 
the payment might be prohibitive, right? So okay. Aegis Chrome will stop you playing the card if you don't have the fate to pay for it. So will Tetsuko. Watch Commander, you can't play the card if you don't have the honor to lose because you lose the game, right? Those are strong yep. embargo effects that create a very strong cost-benefit analysis for your opponent, but also genuinely do embargo them if you lock them down. So if I control your honor, then Watch Commander stops you from playing cards. If I control your fate, then Aegis Chrome stops you from playing cards. This will never do that mm. because except in extreme circumstances, there will never be a ring to give you. But also the way it's worded, if there isn't a ring, you just don't claim a ring. It's not, your opponent can't play cards if there's not a ring on the table. So no matter how many shenanigans you do to take rings, there's never going to be anything stopping your opponent playing cards. What this does is it transfers all of the arithmetic on do I do this or not to your opponent. And your opponent can just look at the board, look at how much fate is on the rings, look at which ring you'd be taking, whether or not they need it later on, and then say, actually, breaking this province or resolving this ring or stopping you breaking this province is worth you taking a ring because what does the ring really get? So, you know, it putting all of that into your opponent's hands is is questionable because it's not an embargo effect. It's not. A, it is a taxation effect, but the taxation is so conditional that it becomes weak. Now, the caveat to this is that we're only seeing the stronghold. We haven't seen a lot of the supporting cards for the stronghold, bar a few that have been a bit underwhelming. Um, mm. So there may be a few cards like a Mitsu that works with this stronghold. Something like anytime you claim a ring during a conflict not during conflict resolution, trigger the ring's effect or make your opponent discard a card or, or something like that that makes it more punishing for your opponent. But again, to return to my earlier thought, all that does is just change the maths that your opponent has to do. And if it's still worth it for them to play the card, they will. There's no... We almost need like a hidden kicker, like something like a Miramoto's Fury that works on the number of rings you've got claimed. But again, you return to the problem that the more cards I have that rely on this and the more my opponent knows that I'm playing cards that rely on this, the less likely they are to play their cards that trigger this because the less cards they play, the less of my abilities that are turned on. Okay. You see? Now, are you ready for my rebuttal? Yeah, of course, but, you know. This yeah. card is stupid. Okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm, 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 after I'm, my so... good, like, three minutes of solid intellectual discussion, you have to give me a bit more than stupid. Stupid, good. Stupid, bad. Stupid, stupid. I think many people notice that uh, you use the word interesting a whole lot when you're describing this card. And it's a bit of a meme, but it's also a true meme. When you say a card is interesting in, the, in like high-level competitive play, that's just a really like convoluted way of, or a meme way of saying, this card is not very good. It's not very yeah, effective. I, it's not very competitive on a high but, level. But yeah, I'll, this, I'll, is, this is my rebuttal time. Yeah, but I'm just going to say that I don't agree with that, right? Before we get into your rebuttal, I'm saying it's interesting because it's hard to judge without seeing cards that support this theme. This isn't monks. This isn't attach loads of weapons and go ham. This is a very weird thing that Dragon hasn't done yet. And we've seen, like, two cards that support it. So it could potentially be good if it had the right cards. Anyway, yeah, come on, uh, tell me what I mean, you think. I, I, I agree with you on that one. And I, and I always maintain a position. I don't actually believe in bad cards, except for Asuki and Takako, but don't get me started on that and, one. And deduction. Uh, deduction is a bad card, but yeah, continue. I don't think, like, sure, there is a possibility that a card could come out that synergizes really, really well with this thing, or a whole bunch of cards come out that synergizes really, really well with this card and stuff. But they don't exist right now. And as it stands right now in a vacuum of, a, of consistent usability and uh, uh, gaining value in every game as it exists right now in any way I can foresee. Let's, let me give you everything I can think of. Like, let's say you had a Yoshi. Uh, you already got uh, uh, the uh, Ruby Champion, Agasha Sumiko. Uh, let's say, because the best thing this thing you can do is claim the favor. You need a lot of cards that say, hey, I want the favor really badly to kind of justify this effect. And then it's like you're getting up, if you somehow don't get the favor, if you're, you're one Scorpion Imperial Advisor away from like having your entire deck shut down at that point. You're so defended on the favor, you know? Not even that. All your opponent has to do is just say, oh, look, you have a Sumiko on the table and I've looked at your hand and you have censures. I'm not going to play this card from my hand. You don't get the extra ring. I get the favor. 
and then no, yeah, everything that, gets that, turned but, you know, in, in a world of strongholds, if we're comparing all the strongholds together, so and, and uh, yeah, I'll just bring things back to Crane and stuff. But we're just talking about uh, Crane just got cued uh, Kikita or Kikita cued him. So, you know, we've played around with it. It's kind of lackluster when compared to other things, but it's a lot better than uh, Shizuka Toshi because it basically did nothing. And doing like something kind of bad, a little better, is a lot better than doing nothing. This one's not really doing much. You know, in a, in a world where you want your stronghold to be consistently gaining you value, you want it to be walk uh, the good strongholds are the ones that will walk you towards your victory condition and stuff. This is not necessarily doing anything for that. Yeah. And you want it to be triggerable every turn, and you want it to be reliable. You want it to help you either defend or attack, or so. So it's making it's, it's ensuring that your opponent, uh, well, actually, I'm not sure. For most of the time, it's making sure your opponent cannot trigger a ring. You do not want them to trigger. But while rings are very valuable, they're not none of them are so valuable uh, unless you get like the air ring really late on when you're like one of your opponents either like getting ready to honor out or dishonor out. Uh, they're not so valuable as to. Uh, you know, put this much weight on it, you know? It, well, it, it's, it's not letting me trigger a ring, but it's also not helping you uh, win a battle. That's it. Especially compared to the one you already have. I mean, part of the reason why the dragon it, uh, has been so strong, a lot of its strength as it exists right now is still so powerful, is that extra plus two, plus two that you just, like, hail Mary out of anywhere See, and stuff. That, I would argue that plus that two, that plus two, plus two brings us onto par with a lot of clans. I don't feel that it puts us ahead. If you look at, like, like, like for example, we're talking about strongholds. Kikita is usually a plus two, plus two, um, or plus three, plus three, depending on who it's used on. Um, is it Shiro Nishiyama? The crab box is usually plus two, plus two on defense. Um, plus four, plus four, if crab really want to stop you. Um, Kuden Bayushi is a ready and plus one, plus one. Um, you know, sitting the open hand had to be errated because it was so strong. Kuden Nisawa resurrects the spell that is usually at minimum plus three, plus three. Um, and people are getting concerned because the dragon stronghold requires you to attach to attachments and then gives plus two, plus two. Um, albeit, okay, usually we have it turned on, but it also locks our decks into a specific and annoying attachment-dependent, you know, thing. You know, but she, you know, Mount Zavil Castle is on par with all of these other strongholds that are giving this stat bonus, and without it, we don't compete on stats. This doesn't help me win conflicts. It doesn't really punish my opponent. How much fate is going to be on rings after it triggers? It's not going to work on turn one. It, you know, I, I could see. I, mean, I, it, I don't think it's going to get. I don't think you're ever going to gain any fate from this ability because if you're like collecting half, all the unused rings every round, then how are the rings ever going to gain fate? I well, mean, I take that back. You have a bunch of dragon cards that are saying like, and then some of them earn this pack five. Say, hey, throw a bunch of money onto these well, uh, rings. Yes, but right the now. issue with that is, of course, that one of them specifies when he's attacking, so your opponent could just swing back yeah. and take the ring. Um, another one is usually used on offense, and then you claim it anyway because you attack. Like, not a lot of fate stays on rings in games because that's the economy. Um, I mean, sure, you're, you're, you're helping support my argument that this stronghold is very ineffective so when it's ever straight. I <laughs> wonder if the initial version of a stronghold let you resolve the ring. Because if you resolve the ring. I think that that, that would be that would take this. It would single-handedly take this stronghold from being, like, in my opinion, kind of god-awful to ridiculously overwhelming. Yeah, but you'd, you'd change it. So you would take away the unlimited and maybe replace it. Maybe just leave it once so you pick one conflict. Or maybe you make it twice per turn. Um, I Because the rings are so incredibly powerful in different ways at different points of the game, I have no idea how you would value I mean, it. The ring is worthless until it's the most powerful. It would be incredibly right? flexible, but I think it would probably be equal to a plus two, plus two, to plus four, plus four buff already. Um, and, but also, again, it would be equal because it would put that power into your opponent's hand to decide, you know, because they would be attacking or defending on a specific ring and, and they'd know which rings were on the board. And then, again, they could decide whether or not letting you get a trigger of a ring was worth the card they were going to play. So it, it still wouldn't be super busted, but it would have a punishment for playing the card. At the moment, the punishment is if there's any fate on a ring, you get to take it, which, given how much fate is left on rings, if you're not running something janky you know, isn't really a punishment for your opponent 
Whereas if it let you trigger the ring, it would actively be a, okay, you get to play that, but I get to do this because you've done that, which is powerful. Uh, well, the only way, way I can see this, like, and this is barring they're going to come up with some amazing cards to have them synergize with this particular struggle really well. There's always a possibility for any card in existence. But let's just think about how it exists right now in the meta and what we can see coming down the pipeline. Um, I would run this if I'm having a really hard time with Tadaka. But a Phoenix player who is playing Tadaka... What do they do with their first conflict of the turn? I mean, they... I mean, you're, you're, like, so best case scenario, this thing is only shutting down the thing it's specifically trying to target 50% of the time. I mean, these are not great options. No, exactly. <laughs> and like what? So say I'm the first player, I attack on a different ring, or I attack on Earth. If I attack on Earth to Darker Switch on, if I attack on a different ring and say something, then they have to hmm. play a card to stop it's... me breaking something, then I get to take Earth. Okay, that works, but that's against Phoenix in a very fringe <laughs> movement, and only if well, I'm... Basically, it's like... Like, See, I don't want to discount the strength that claiming and triggering a ring has anytime you're able to do so. Because they are very powerful. Yeah, but this stuff. isn't However, triggering. I don't think any so... ring... Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. well it's, 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 it, if, if me and you are playing and you trigger and I attack you and you're going to like... Or somebody, we, we declare an attack and you use this ability to put something in your pool. That means I can never declare an attack against yes. that, uh, with that ring and trigger its ability and stuff. That, you know, I'm not saying any of the rings are so not powerful that that won't be neat. You know, neat in quotation. It's interesting in quotation marks. Yeah. Uh, they're not so powerful that it's going to warp the game in any significant For way. Sure. Back and forth. Other than these, like, like these hyper quarter case situations. You know, yeah. uh, I'm, you've got my honor really down low and stuff, and you take the air ring away from me and stuff. And I'll you seal my fate. You know, how often does that going to really, You know, it's consistency. You know, it's the it's the hallmark of any good card. What makes a good car a card powerful and great and worth like high tier play and stuff is how consistently are we going to be able to use this ability to generate value? And I'm just not saying. It. You, I, can, I can come up with like all kinds of these corner cases and these weird scenarios where it's like kind of interesting, it's kind of neat, it's kind of moving things around and stuff. I just, it just does not compete with the hard, you know. You know, getting plus two, plus two is not that big, but it's not nothing. And comparatively, this is kind of nothing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, if there was a defensive dragon on a deck, for example, where, you know, your opponent had to play cards to break through your wall of characters defending your provinces, and if they didn't, you would just hold out until the end of the turn. And then if they attacked, you could always take air or fire or one of the rings, um, and they would have to play cards. You'd force them to. And then you had something like the Phoenix um, thing that says, you know, um, return a ring from your claim pool to gain an honor or something like that. If Dragon had that sort of design, then this sort of thing where you were defending, you would be forcing them to play cards to break through your, you know, your stronghold, and then you'd be using those ring triggers to gain honor. Um you know, then you might see something like this work out, but that's not what we're seeing. So it's a bit tricky. And look, look, we'll take a quick look at deduction because this is one of the first sort of cards we've seen that sort of works with this theme. So one cost event, during a political conflict only, return a ring from your claimed ring pool to the unclaimed ring pool, choose a participating character with printed cost three or lower, bow that character. So this is an example of a card that is over-costed, over-restricted for an ability that doesn't target a lot of the threatening characters that are going to be attacking you. So firstly, costs one. Why? I don't know. It already has multiple hoops to jump through. Only during a political conflict, um, which is, you know, well, precisely one half of conflicts that happen. Return a ring from your claim ring pool to the unclaimed ring pool. So it already assumes that this ability has triggered or that you've had a successful attack, which is a big, a big if. Um, and it, it also assumes that you want to give that ring back to be used against something else. Um, then, if you've done both of those things and you have a fate, you can choose a participating character with printed cost three or lower, bow that character. The majority of towers are based on characters that are four for a reason. Um, the, the most clans that use lower cost characters are military clans who this won't work against. Like, there is no part of this card that screams, I am fair and costed well to do the effect. 
this is perfectly an example of a card like so we just talked about how shiro kitsuki uh is a weird card that like has like no real uh, obvious advantage as it stands right now maybe they'll print cards that kind of work with it and stuff this is a card that's clearly designed to work with it and since they know it you can like take the unclaimed uh, ring that you discard from your pool eliminate that one and you get what the quote-unquote real cost is so we just know deduction is just a card card that's meant to go into shiro kitsuki and no other deck ever and even then it's kind of like hyper restricted right uh because they, they, they're like we want this card to be hyper synergistic with it but we don't want it to be so powerful that it's just an obvious like i'm playing shiro kitsuki so i can play my deduction they don't want to do that that's not good design anyway and so what they've done is they've overcompensated this other card to the point of like neither of them are powerful i am not going to play shiro kitsuki deduction is not i'm not gonna play deduction without shiro kitsuki this is just a vortex of things i don't want to look even at, if right? i play shiro kitsuki i will not play deduction i will find a different way like look right right how do you make this card good you take away the cost so it costs zero you make it work in any conflict, and then you can leave the printed cost three or lower. Or you can leave the cost one, you can remove the political only restriction, you can leave the return an unclaimed ring, which is quite a big thing, and you can remove printed cost three or lower, right? Any of those things would make this card playable. I'm not, like, it's fine to have cards with weird and expensive costs like returning an unclaimed ring, because that, that is what this stronghold is supposed to do. You're supposed to have effects that punish your opponent for giving you those, those claimed rings. But this one isn't a good example because it doesn't affect a lot of the threats, and it's just going to be a dead card a lot of the time. It's like, you can tell this is a really bad situation. Like, if, if like, what would you rather run? Would you rather run Shirokatsuki and Dedication, or would you rather run uh, Mountain's Iron Anvil, or whatever it's called, your, your normal stronghold, and a single fine katana? Exactly. That's and what I'm talking about. you're getting more... Or an ornate fan, if you're worried about political yeah. conflicts. You just run an ornate fan and the old stronghold over this, and suddenly I mean, you're probably beating any character that costs three or lower anyway. I mean, if your most powerful synergy with this thing can't even beat, like, playing an ornate fan, that just kind of does the entire, like, fail. I don't say it's failure. I mean, it's an option that you want to kind of screw around with and stuff, but it, it, we're talking about, like, what we're going to see in competitive play not making the cut. By yeah, exactly. I mean, and that that is genuinely a problem. Uh, this game, as much as we like to, like, avoid it, does come down to who has more stats at the end of the conflict. And, you know, if they don't want to give dragon stats um, on some of our characters, you know, we've got a lot of 1-3s, we've got a lot of Agasha Shinsons, we've got a lot of, like, low stats guys. We have a lot of big stats guys as well, but those fit a specific theme of the deck, and they clearly don't fit the Kitsuki theme. Um, then we need cards that reflect... Um, you know, that give the ability for our low stats characters to still win conflicts. Bows are the answer, but not this kind of bow. This is too restrictive um, to see play yeah. in the current meta. Um, I mean, honestly, I would like to replace bow with, like, kill. <laughs> and this card might see, like, be more worth it, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of hoops and ladders to go for a single bow effect. Exactly. You know, you know what I do? I play Sewer of Law and Four Shame. Boom, Well, I mean, bow. the Kitsuki deck is already <laughs> going to run Four Shame. So, yeah. So, yeah. why are you playing all this stuff if you just play a courtier? Yeah, you know, exactly. So, it does seem like too many hoops for not enough payoff. Remove the printed cost three or lower, perhaps it will be all right. Remove the political conflict requirement. I think returning a ring from a claimed ring pool to an unclaimed ring pool and one fate is, is enough for anything, really. Um, the next cards are just Army of the Rising Wave, right? So this is another card designed to work with the Stronghold. I think a lot better. So five cost, six three, army. No attachments except weapons, normal for armies. Reactions after this character enters play, place one fate on each unclaimed ring. So this is a card that guarantees that there is going to be fate on the rings. It's expensive, it has stats, it's meaty, it is at risk because it can't get finger of jade but that's all right i mean you'd find ways to play around it and it puts one fate on ring so it, it gives that threat of okay well if you play cards i get fate which is kind of what you want kind of i mean it puts a fate on every ring so if me and you're playing you've got you know your sk deck uh you can get like you attack me once you gain a fate and then you're gonna play your stronghold gain another fate now i'm still gonna attack you once or twice i'm still gonna gain at least two fate so you're gaining like net one or two fates 
like if you see Army of the Rising Wave and if you pay five cost to get this guy to play, and like okay, so you 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 played a shitty stronghold and found a crappy character to maybe gain two fate every one uh, a net positive of two fate every once in a while. I mean, you know, I could just play Yukuni. I could just play Ashisumi. In, in, I could play Mitsu, in this you know? in this scenario. What's more likely going to happen based on the deck that I've sort of been brewing up is that I put one fate on everything. I use my Tranquil Philosopher to move that one fate to one ring. I'm first player. I move Jade. I use my Jade Masterpiece to move another fate to to the ring as well. It already had one fate on it, so I claim four fate, and then I'm attacking. There's still two rings with one fate minimum on them each, and then I say, "What do you want to do?" I mean, you as a dragon do have a lot of options to manipulate the fate that are on yeah. your screen. You have your your monks that do it. You have things that just shift. And like Tranquil Philosopher um, has become a mainstay of the deck in the face of Dishonor because I've gained five honor in a game with him and five fate. So. You know, these effects are there, so there may be some mileage in these things that put fate on rings. It's just a bit tricky because if you're not first player, then you're giving your opponent free fate. So I would say that as, a, as a kind of a flashback to what we decided to talk about in this podcast about, you know, gaining fate on cards. We talked about the crane pack that we just got previewed. That's an antitious poet, you know, which is really solid stats, gains of fate. It's not unique, so you can get, use it multiple times, and I'm not playing it. You know, economy, don't get me wrong. A very key point in this game and almost every other card game is the balance of economy. And one of the biggest things of the old game, usually when decks started falling apart, was when one faction developed a way to accelerate their economy in a very unfair way. What's the card? The uh, the attachment that just got uh, restricted in Phoenix. Uh, uh, embrace the Void. Right yeah, because it takes the fate from Consumed by Five Fires, yeah. Like, even if you don't play um, Five Fires, the way that it just creates non-stop economy is extremely powerful and stuff. That said, it's not so good that you just play a legion of very expensive, you know, decently statted, but ultimately lackluster car- uh, cards to gain this kind of side effect of... Yeah, I mean, a Tranquil, tranquil Philosopher could get me as much fate as Embrace the Void, but it costs three. I'd have to put fate on it if I want to keep getting the benefit from it. But it does usually pay for itself, which is quite nice. Um, so let's let's stop talking about Dragon because it's still very much a question mark until we see more cards. Um, I'm going to be optimistic. We also do have our clan pack. I'm hoping that between this and that, we have a good stronghold that is interesting and an alternative to Mount Zanimal Castle. But as far as I see at the moment is we need the stats we're getting from that. So, um, like, I don't see this Dragon pack have a lot of like things that trigger off of having rings and manipulating rings. Uh, to make this thing even like worth consideration, I have to talk about a lot, a lot. Of this isn't the pack. This is the cycle. So the pack is probably going to have a completely other different theme. Uh, we hope monks because monks still need a bit of support. Well, I'm saying like I hope it's coming in the pack because what I don't want to see, even though I'm not a dragon player, and I'd love to see you guys pushed into a hole. But I don't know. I, I would be furious if I'm a dragon player and I see in every single uh, inheritance cycle pack that comes up for the rest of this year, we keep getting pushing these crappy cards that are going to go with this crappy stronghold. And at the end of the year, it's like, oh wow, well, a year of crap. You know? Unfortunately. Just based on the way they theme people in, in a cycle, that is probably going to be the case. We may get one card to support our other themes, but I think a lot of our cards are going to support this. But that could be good. They could end up being great cards. Um, so let's let's quickly so we'll stop talking about Dragon. We'll quickly talk about Frontline Engineer. Um, this is a four-cost crab guy. So he's 4-2. He gets one George for each holding and play. But the interesting part, so his ability, you look at the top... When he's defending, you look at the top five cards of your dynasty deck for a holding. You put it into play in the attack province, discarding each other card in that province, shuffle. Now, why is this good? It's good partly because of a new holding, which says when this holding's province is broken, your opponent chooses an attacking character, discard that character. See my note earlier about how kill is super powerful, especially when you don't see it coming. And this is free kill that will destroy your opponent's towers. Great. But also interesting about Frontline Engineer is that he can build these these uh, holdings onto your stronghold. So, you know, if, if someone is attacking your stronghold, you can dig down and you can get a plus two um, um, strength and it will stay there, um, giving you a bit of an extra boost. You know, it's not going to win you games, but fetching holdings is quite good. 
I mean, it's neat. And we're getting into this, like, quote, you know, quotation mark interesting again, right? Yeah. So it's neat. And at, at four costs, I'm looking at two things. Uh, does it compete with other four costers in crab and stuff? Is it uh, the Steadfast Witch Hunter? Answer is no. Because uh, Witch Hunter just does so much more for the deck that exists right now. And as for the ability, as for, like, searching your deck, I mean, that's neat. Uh, it could turn itself off if you happen to flip five cards and not find any holding, which is entirely possible. But it also just doesn't do its job as good as me as Satoshi. Well, who... it fetches different things. This can get you an Iron Mines. This can get you a storehouse for a free card draw. This can... So one of the, one of the reasons why Crab is so powerful right now is because Mies is on the strength of rebuild. Uh... Crab can do a lot of, like, no matter what pillar you try to attack Crab, the other three pillars are going to boost it up. So uh, Spyglass ensures that they're always going to have whatever card they need in their hand in their hand when they need it. We know the card they need, they need Rebuild. And Misatoshi makes sure that all of the holdings that you ever need are comfortably in your discard pile, ready to be brought up at a second's notice. You know, so if, you, if your opponent has a critical attachment, you know, Rebuild, uh, Karate District is there to deal with that. You know, if your character is being coverted around and stuff, well, gonna bring out that uh, favorable ground, you know. So Misatoshi with a combination of Rebuild, both are pretty much kind of like, so you don't always see Misatoshi and stuff, but thanks to the ridiculous amount of card draw that like Shruti Suki and Spyglass does, you can almost sure. Unless your crab opponent's having a really bad day, they're going to have a rebuild in their hand, and they're going to throw away anything they want into the discard pile and stuff. So, frontline attached or frontline engineer is you know quote unquote interesting because maybe he can search for the stuff at five at the top five of your deck. Maybe he's going to find nothing. You know, um, I don't think he's as consistent as the options that uh, crab already have available to them. And then also look at this weird. This character gets plus one glory for each holding in play. And Crab are not known for gaining their honor tokens, so he's kind of got like an inherent weakness built into him. Because I always see him really getting punished by like Korean Scorpion decks for having this uh, extra glory on him. Yeah, I mean there was always that old siege defensive Crab honor deck, which I always wonder if we'll see at some point in this game. And this seems like it is designed for that. But again, I mean there is no payoff for defending constantly. You do have to be attacking to still win the game if you're a conquest clan. So until we get that payoff, um, I don't know that Crab is ever going to go on holding base defense. Um, so the other two cards that were previewed, I mean, we can briefly talk about them. I don't think they're nearly as interesting. Uh, there's a Scorpion one that gives a Bushi, um, um, sets its uh, base force uh, equal to the current base uh, skill of an opponent, which is very good for countering like Bonsai and things like that, Way of the Lion. Um, yeah, it's called by it's called by any means. The interesting thing about this one is it sets you know, the uh, the Bushi character that you have. It sets their base skill to the current skill of an opponent's character. So if your opponent, if you guys, if I have a character and you have a character, and they both have swords, I can copy you. Your uh, put on my base skill and still get the inherent bonus of my sword on top of it. You know, increase the edge. The obvious downside to that is what Bushi am I running? In yeah, they got deck? the Noble Enforcers. Uh, yeah, they've got a, they've got a few Bushi, uh, Bushi um, again. It's a bit of that's a bit of an I mean, odd one. It mean, feels like it's a, a lion card or something. But you know, maybe Scorpion are getting more Bushi in this expansion. This um this cycle does of course focus on Bushi and Cordia, so maybe um, Scorpion are getting more Bushi. But why are they getting more Bushi when their Shinobi theme isn't truly fleshed out enough to be viable? It's a bit of a tricky one. So because we're pushing yeah, Bushi but then today, you know? maybe it turns <laughs> maybe it turns out why? that a combination of why? Bushi and Shinobi is what they need to get their deck across the line. So that could be fun. Um, what? Why is Dragon's Monk theme not being supported? Because we're pushing Bushi and Cordia. No, right I think why. there is. I think there is a greater plan at work than just oh, we're pushing this now. But you know, sometimes it does feel a bit weird when you see one of these cards in isolation and you're like, but where are the Bushi to play this on? And then outflank. I mean, after opponent's promise is revealed during a conflict, choose a non-unique character. That character cannot be declared as a defender in this conflict. Match one per conflict. Um, after a promise is revealed, fine. That happens four times a game. But if you don't break it, then you're going to feel very sad. Choose a non-unique. I mean, I'd understand if non-unique characters were sufficiently better than unique characters, but 
The majority of good characters that people play in the decks are unique because they have face advantage and they've got better abilities and usually better stats. So I don't really understand a lot of this non-unique hate. Um, otherwise, it is reasonably powerful. Stopping someone defending is quite powerful. So maybe that'll see some play at some point, but not sure. I mean, this I mean, this is a kind of an interesting card. And I'm not using quotations. Because, <laughs> I always uh, use quotations. So unicorn with, <laughs> unicorn, uh, with their most powerful deck is the HMT, kind of run you down super fast deck, right? And as powerful as that is, I don't know, outside of their ability to kind of like deck take themselves a lot of times, their abilities can often be shut down but, you know, you have one saucy defender in a conflict you don't want to defend at, and um, uh, it can often just, like, shut down their entire game plan with one healthy defense. So I actually think this thing has some play in a unicorn deck where they really need to take that third province, you know, or they would, like, you know, all they have is a character to try to take a political province, and, you know, that's not going to happen. But if they just get rid of, like, if they can't have your courtier or whatever defend that one thing, maybe they can make something happen, right? So I think, it's, I, I think it actually opens up some holes in this game, but it, like, it, it also doubles down on this unicorn, like, I'm going to attack you, you know, this is a yeah, two-round game. I mean, and there are <laughs> enough enough. characters that see play that this does have viability. The real question is, of course, why are you just splashing dragon for Tattooed Wanderer? Or are you going to run the two of these together? Because yeah. Covert's better than, um, than this card, yeah. if you can get it. Yeah, that's a perfect example. This is kind of a like, really janky kind of hyper-specific yeah. cover, you know, and... Maybe, yeah, maybe just play a, a Tugashi or a Tattooed Wanderer instead of this thing. Yeah, though, I mean, the benefit, of course, is you don't have Splash Dragon, which, of course, no one wants to do anymore, so there you go. Um, so, I mean, that's that's pretty much... I suppose we've got a Dragon Tattoo that was spoiled a lot with the Dragon book, so obviously, uh, surprisingly, everyone, the next yeah. novella is Dragon. Um, yeah, it's been three seconds since my last train rant, but hold up, so we've had this pattern of... You know, a clan gets a clan pack, and then a clan gets a novella to kind of yeah. go along with it, you know? Uh, uh, Phoenix pack, Phoenix book. Scorpion pack, Scorpion book. Unicorn pack, Unicorn book. Crane pack, a crane pack. Dragon yeah, book? I mean, ah, I think that, I mean, essentially the story has clearly been written one way, and they've decided to get the sure. clan pack products, which everyone has to remember have been accelerated. They weren't originally all supposed to come out this year. They were mm. supposed to come out over two years. Um, clearly the acceleration yes. of those has changed the release dates um, of them. Whereas the story has been set to go out a different way. Um, I mean, if the Dragon Clan pack was supposed yeah. to be released now, I would ask why the Crane pack has been released before now. Um, so we have absolutely no confirmation no, no, for any of this. Speculation. Any information. But however, it, we, we all are pretty confident in understanding that the roadmap of the story and the release schedule of the books was kind of set in stone probably a year before this game even launched. So that's probably already in the books. Um, and then we see the announcements of the acceleration of the clan packs and all that thing happening um, at near the end of the first year of the game. And we're seeing the different power levels. And so if you look at the game around Worlds last year, you know, we can see that, you know, other than obviously Unicorn needs to be selected to the, like, the next thing on the list because they need a power boost right now. Um, many people are going to disagree with me, but a lot of people are of the opinion that Crane needed like one more shot in the arm to really be in that like tier one spot. So you put it there. And Dragon, if, you, if you're going to ask anyone by the end of what, where Dragon was last year, Dragon can kind of like sit pretty for a while. They don't need a power boost for a long, long while and stuff. But we noticed a lot was that Dragon's going to get hit by several more restricted list things and just completely fall off. Well, I'm going to say completely fall off the meta. But they, 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 they fell a lot harder than anyone else has gotten hit by Yeah, I mean, we went from doing pretty well to me being the top Dragon in the Season 15 of the Discord League in the round of 32. So I really wonder if like, our, the original plan was Dragon to get a update around about this time and they were moved back. Like, oh, Dragon's too small. Or Dragon's too powerful. It is possible. The year. And, oh, no. and that would be fair. <laughs> Again, we have no way of knowing. There is no communication on this issue. If there was a bit more transparency, it would be a lot easier. But then, of course, that you would open yourself up to criticism and complaints as well. It's a no-win situation for the designers, so it's not surprising I'm talking about it. Regardless of whatever happens, the art for this clan pack, uh, not this clan pack, this book is 
gorgeous. I mean, we've seen the front cover, which is Takashi Kazue, who you know we already have a full art of, and her art is already gorgeous. We see um, an Isezumi being tattooed with sort of a shadow of a dragon over them. Uh, we see some monks training um, in dragon colors. Um, we see um, another new Kazue who's just looking gorgeous with a blue dragon in the background. And then we see Dragon Tattoo, which is this new card. Um, gorgeous art, really detailed tattoo design, um, regardless of like shoulders, whatever it's on. Um, um, it, it two cost attachment plus two military attachment character control gives them tattooed because you've tattooed them. Uh, not monk only, which is interesting. Uh, restricted, which is also yeah. interesting because restricted used to mean you could only have one thing in one hand and one thing in the other hand. Now it means. I think they started to realize how like out of control attachments are getting. If you you just look at some people are posting these wackadoo things on uh, Jigoku or on the games where you have like twenty attachments yeah. on characters. Like, yeah, I can keep doing this because that's that's restricted. And I think they other kind of realize like, all right, these towers are getting. I actually think we might see a rules change if they start putting restrictions on more attachments that just says any character can only attach two char two attachments unless it specifies otherwise. And that does leave it open for some characters to have more. But um, I think most attachments should be restricted. I think stacking up too high on people is a bit ridiculous. Um, anyway, reaction. After you play an event that chooses attached character as a target, play that event again, paying all costs. You may choose new targets to remove that event from the game. So this doesn't work with a lot of stuff, <laughs> right? Straight out. But I think me and you are both thinking of what it really works. Hurricane like, Punch. <laughs> what? Were you not thinking of Hurricane Punch? <laughs> no, Duel to the Death Well, that man. doesn't target this character. That targets your opponent's character. Let's see. Let me read this game. Maybe, I, maybe I'm illiterate. Maybe that's I mean, the there are some cards that target your opponent's characters and target yours first, but a lot of the cards that target yeah. your opponent's characters like don't target yours. Like Void Fist, for example, doesn't target your monk. It just uses your monk as a reference check, which is not the same thing. Um, so you can't use a Void Fist and then Void Fist someone else immediately. You can Hurricane Punch and then Hurricane Punch immediately, which is quite nice. Um, and you can Mantra of Fire see that, and, that makes a lot and Mantra more of sense. Fire again immediately, which would give your guy two fate and draw you two cards. Um, so there are a lot of nice interactions to Dragon. Yeah, did you check? So Jules of Death wouldn't work. Or... Yeah, that's the thing. So a duel has has a, a ruling that I believe targets a character. So I wonder if the inherent targeting of a duel meets the qualifications. Maybe of that would be interesting. Double duel to death, but the first one might kill it. So you know, we'll see. Um, well, if, I, if if you do it twice, then that means the first one is like, oh, I refuse the duel. I get this on. Then you, then you duel to, to the death again, and now it's true. On. Or if they accept, yeah. you just duel someone else because you can choose new targets. Um, I mean, if, let's say this works. The dragon tattoo uh, does work that way. I'm going to accept the duel to the death of the first time because, like. Dueling now is better than like being forced into duel while I'm dishonored. <laughs> Gonna accept but then if you accept, uh, I immediately right? do it somewhere else. Um, anyway, so this is quite a nice effect. It keys off with Hurricane Punch very nicely. But also, it leaves a lot of room open for some very interesting other effects. I think this is going to see a lot of play. I think it's a very interesting card. Um, I think that you may need to take a list of things that it works with and just memorize it um, and maybe take it with you to Kotai the first few times you play this card uh, so your opponents can just have a nice, easy list of things that it works with so they know. Um, and that's... Is this the new uh, it's Mirror's Gaze? It's not nearly as complicated <laughs> as Mirror's Gaze, but it does have a bit of nuance to it, so I think it will require a bit. Um, so <laughs> I think that's it with the cards. I mean, we've we spent a lot of time talking we, about cards. We've only been recording for two and a half hours. We yeah, so about. I think we'll spend a bit of time on rotation. We can get through world's news and distribution issues in five minutes. It's not going to take a lot of time. And then, I mean, this episode is going to be mightily long. Or do we want to, like, rotation isn't happening anytime soon. Do we want to just talk about it later? Um, let's see. Because we could we could do that on the next podcast. I mean, we could talk about rotation then. Um, honestly, yeah, we're, we're already we're already pretty long. I don't think this is such like vital information that we need. Yeah, to and right I now. have messaged Tyler um, asking him if he would come on and do a an interview with us about rotation. Um, now, did you contact the PRT no, about that? Pinged Tyler on Discord. 
Okay, so uh, Fancy Flight, I think I'm the one who actually got him in trouble for this one because at Gen Con last year, when you like just got hired, I set him down for an interview, and we did a process where I sat down, I recorded with my cell phone, and they came out, and I chatted, I, I typed up the interview, and I sent it to him for approval, and he had to send it to his PR team. Now he's made it public that anytime he does a interview or he wants to cut like guest host of the podcast, you have to pre-submit any questions you want to ask him to the PR team yeah. before he can. Remember, I worked in PR. I'm totally fine with all of that. Um, Oh, yeah, I've, yeah. I've only just suggested to him. What I actually said was, I'm keen to talk about rotation when we get close to it. Super excited for aggressive rotation mm. schedule. Nothing keeps games fresher. I may pink him again next week or so and be like, actually, it would be great to interview you on this. But obviously, if he wants to pre-approve questions, we can do that. I worked in PR. I'm very good at sticking to yeah. a script. I'm fine with that. Um, I just think I want to talk about rotation. I'm really excited about rotation. Mm. Um, there's a lot of rumblings about whether we'll get Core 2.0 when the rotation happens or whether they'll ban or errata a lot more Core cards. Um, you know, I think it's going to be a very interesting time uh, next year when it starts because it is only next year this is what people keep forgetting rather than the seven years that netrunner had cycle four starts yeah. next year and when cycle four starts cycle one and two will rotate out is that right is that right absolutely no I mean, no that isn't, that's right. is it cycle five that's not, that's not. Uh, damn it no, no i need to, I need to bring, <laughs> up the, bring up the document um it, it, the way I see it, this is fine for me because it works. And we're going to talk about this more when we actually sit down and talk. About it. Which I guess, do you want to like meet some, like this weekend or something? And do like a no, I episode? think we need to do a pickup episode. I think we should like... talk about it for our next thing, our next episode. Oh, so we're yeah, it's not going anywhere. Okay. Um, yeah, so this is cycle three, right? So then we have we are yeah, so then we have cycle three, yes. four, which will be next year, and then the year after that, when cycle five starts, that's when the first two cycles rotate. So we've got another cycle. Well, we've got this cycle and the next one. So it'll probably be 2021. So it's, again, there's no need to talk about it so soon. I mean, it's working very similar to like the old rotation list yeah. of all of our But, so. you know, they could always rotate some other stuff out of the environment sooner than that if they wanted to. Like they can errata the core set whenever they like. It's just a matter of deciding what needs to go. I mean, that's the big thing about rotation is like when rotation starts, are we going to get a Netrunner style like course box 2.0 to kind of like... If it happens in two years, you know? then I think it's goes without saying i think well absolutely will i don't even think it's like i think it's just obvious because because it will be it, it'll have been four years five years since the release of the game that's the per that's the perfect uh, time to do that's the perfect time to do it basically. yeah all right so we're gonna skip the last three topics we're gonna skip the listener questions for the mailbag right now because we already have like a six yeah days exactly episode. um so let's just do final shout outs well quick uh, all right, so to close this out for right now, at the very least, uh, I want to give a shout-out, or we want to give a shout-out, uh, to the RPG half of this podcast, or sister podcast, Court Games, uh, with Kovar and uh, uh, Gene over there doing RPG stuff, doing great work. As always, even though they keep telling me not to do this, a massive shout-out to Seabass, who is the patron of this uh, podcast. and brings, Like Nick Fury, he brought us <laughs> Avengers together to come up with uh, all this hot conversation about the LCG and the RPG and stuff. Apparently, Avengers consists only of cranes and dragons. But that's all you really need. <laughs> uh, as always, I want to give a huge shout out to the community for always being super positive about this game. And I love interacting with you guys uh, on our Court Games chat channel uh, that we have, um, Court Games Talk, on the Discord, uh, where I often post the questions that I have uh, for the mailbag episode, which we will be recording sometime in the near future. And finally, because we are terrible, terrible podcast hosts, I would give a uh, big plea. Like, if you get join this podcast, please go onto your uh, podcast listening device of choice and leave us a uh, five star review. Nothing else will suffice. Uh, uh, rate. Review, subscribe, smash that bell. Do we have a bell? No, we should we, get a we, bell. We have a giant you know, go, gong. Go to your store. That we ring. Yes. Like, like, just like at, <laughs> at Cor- 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 when around ring ends, they ring a giant gong. <laughs> we have a giant gong. So, okay, come and talk to us at the court case oh. talk panel. We are there. 
we're not lonely there are people there already so you won't have to talk to us by yourself but you know it's a good place to chat it's a bit less uh, noisy than some of the other channels uh, we do talk about um, podcasts and fun stuff uh, all the time uh, please do follow us on podcast channels um, we you know I'm not going to say we need the exposure but you know we like it when people talk to us about how they like the podcast we like recommendations we like feedback we like things you'd like to hear discussed so by all means get in touch uh, you can find us where good podcasts are found which I think is mostly just you know everywhere actually they're fairly ubiquitous now. Pretty much, yes. Yeah, so uh, thanks for listening. Uh, <laughs> I have, of course, been your host, uh, Finbar, otherwise known as Steelfur, or to use the full title, Agasha Mountain Bear Steelfur. Uh, if you ask me nicely, I will tell you why I chose that nickname. I am Trevor Cuba, a.k.a. Kiki Onimaru, which I'll tell you exactly right now where my name comes from. Onimaru is like my 14-year-old's like loose translation of like Shadow Warrior. So it just like it cementifies my hyper edgelord status. Okay, good. <laughs> Thank you for sharing, Mr. Edgelord. Uh, so Kikita Edgelord and I uh, are now signing off, um, uh, but he will be here and I will, I will use this nickname again. Uh, dragons do not forget. So uh, yeah, thanks you all for listening and uh, have a great two weeks until we hear from you again. Sign up.